Hey, 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 how's it going out there, my mushroom lovers? Oliver Carlin here, and I'm the Mushroom Man. I'm about to jump into a podcast with Kyle Garoni, who is the production manager at Far West Fungi, where they produce over 30,000 pounds of mushroom a week to supply to people all over the country for various types of edible gourmet mushrooms. And so anybody who's interested in learning about how to grow mushrooms for a business or for profit is not going to want to miss some amazing tricks, tips, and secrets that Kyle's about to unload on us right now. So the big question is this. With over 10,000 different species of mushrooms, how do people that want to benefit from their various medicinal properties accurately identify them in the wild, grow them at home, or make them taste delicious without having to read confusing medical reports and possibly eating a poisonous look-alike by mistake? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Oliver Carlin, and welcome to Curative Mushroom. All right, we're live. All right, so um, hey, Kyle, thanks for joining me on the Curative Mushroom podcast today. No problem, man. Glad to be here. Awesome, awesome. So <clears throat> I'm really excited about today because I'm really in love with um, just the way you you got uh, your family runs this company and i could see you know that this started with your parents and now you and your brothers run it and it's i mean but it's really a remarkable company when you really look at like what you've been able to do with mushrooms and the recipes they look so delicious like i want to fly out to one of your locations and eat some of these mushroom recipes and look amazing but not only that you're involved with growing you got so much stuff going on i can't wait to get into this but um, really, I'm just really excited to have you on, um, as a guest today. And I think anybody who's interested in growing mushrooms or cooking mushrooms can really find some great benefit in your story today. So thanks for being here for that. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I mean, my family has been doing it for, uh, this year will be 40 years. So we've been in this industry wow. a very long time. I grew up in it. Uh, when I was a kid, I did farmer's markets selling mushrooms, you know, so it's a definitely interesting industry and it's uh, very interesting how it's progressed over the years. And it's called far West fungi, right? That's correct. Company. Cause we're oh, very cool. far West. <laughs> What's that? Said, we're very far West. We're like right uh, on the coast. So we're only about two miles from the beach where our, our production facility. Yeah. On the West coast of the United States. Yeah. Right? Cause you've yeah, got, you got locations in Santa Cruz and San Francisco, right? Yeah. We have a, um, a mushroom store in uh, in San Francisco, and then we also have a store in Santa Cruz. And then our mushroom farms are um, in Monterey. We have a production facility in Moss Landing, and then we have another farm in San Martin. Um, so we have two mushroom farms, and then we also uh, have a, a big uh, distribution center uh, just outside of San Francisco. Awesome, awesome. So <clears throat> why don't we start? Like, why don't you tell us how you, how you, how this all started for the, um, for your family and cause it really started with your parents, right? Yeah. So my dad started the business in the early eighties. Um, basically the business was a mail order business. So we used to do growing supplies. Um, and then also we would sell, um, uh, white mushrooms, like whites, browns, and portobellas, which were pretty much the only mushrooms on the scene at that time. Um, at local farmers markets. And so we, it's a very 
random story, but basically my father was a police officer and he met a guy growing mushrooms at the old naval base in San Francisco. And then uh, his parents uh, were Italian immigrants, uh, well, Argentinian Italian immigrants, and they used to do produce at farmer's markets. So he decided to make a partnership with this guy and start distributing mushrooms. And that's kind of how it all happened. So it's not, you know, not any very happen happenstance kind of random thing. And then um, I grew up in the business my whole life. And, um, you know, after I went to school for plant biology and then after school, I started running the production facility. And these last, I don't know, 12 years, I've been focused mostly on um, automation, equipment, and how to really scale our, our mushroom production. Um, but I think it's a, it's a natural progression in the way of the consumption of mushrooms in our society. Um, you know, before, uh, as we know, like we're more of a microphobic society. Um, if you look at like in Europe, you know, England is not the most pro mushroom versus like Italy and Spain and all those other countries. And so the San Francisco Bay area, I think was perfect because we have a large Asian influence and a lot of different cultures. And so it was also a good outlet to sell mushrooms and having uh, more variety. Um, and I think that's kind of what helped us grow. Um, but the other thing at that time that we had to do was diversify because the industry was so small. We're already doing a niche product within like mushroom, you know, exotic mushrooms are niche within the larger agaricus mushroom industry. So because of that, we've always focused right. on everything. So we do spawn and cultures and right, we, you know, right. we're basically from the seed to the consumer, we're doing every aspect of that. And then, and now we're moving into more of also helping the industry grow. And we'll talk a little bit probably about, you know, the influence of Asia um, substrate mm-hmm. coming in from mostly China and how that affects our, our growing industry um, and how I really want people to take that seriously because um, if we outsource all our, our, you know, our, our knowledge and production overseas, um, it won't mm. allow us to develop these industries here. Um, and so um, yeah, most yeah. of the consumers are not aware, but how much of the mushrooms that are actually being grown in the United States are actually coming from China. Um, but then yes. you know, yeah. blocks fruited here but, you know, and then marketed as product the USA, but actually the substrate, the incubation time, everything was done in China. And then they're just put yeah. on container ships and basically they're here for a week. They fruit them and then product of the USA. So there's a lot of different things we will we'll jump into. But, um, you know, we've just been around for a long time and we've seen this industry. Um, as we know, the industry is changing yet again. Um, and so it's very exciting, I think, for everyone. And I'm glad that everyone's super aware of mushrooms now. Cause it's like, it's, yeah. I was a, a mushroom farmer, you know, as a kid or, you know, I'm like, Oh, a mushroom farmer. Like, what are you talking about? I know, I was right? like, oh, it's cool. Oh, well, that was cool. Oh, okay, cool. thanks. I know. Right. Have you seen <laughs> the new weird. Sonic? Have you seen the new Sonic movie? Like the second one? No. They have like in the first scene in the opening scene of the movie, Jim Carrey is drinking mushroom coffee and there's this big freaking, tech machine that's going through and smashing all these because he's on mushroom planet like okay. so in hollywood he's on a mushroom planet in one of the biggest movies this you know last year yeah but it's everywhere it's popular oh, it's, now. it's, it's everywhere yeah no it's it's just it's in every aspect of everything and you're just like this is crazy but it's cool i mean i'm cool with it 
I was uh, I was before yeah. the times, I guess, or I was born in before the times, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so what was it? So you're you said uh, it was your dad, right? Yeah, my that dad, was a yeah. cop, mm-hmm. and he'd seen a, he um, a someone from a navy he base. Sorry, he was Sorry. growing mushrooms. Yeah, yeah. So, so what, he met a guy. What, that what was, piqued uh, your dad's interest so much about it? Why did he decide to like try to start doing that? I don't I have no idea. I mean, I think it was more he just saw the opportunity. I think at that time, mushrooms were pretty unique. Um, mm. He, as he says, the the mushrooms they were selling was uh, smalls, uh, larges, white mushrooms, and open caps. Mm. And that was the only, those are the three varieties that they sold at the farmers market. So he started. So what did he do? He just started growing his own and then going to the farmers market. He made a partnership with one of the farms as a as basically focusing on sales and distribution. And then also at that time, he started a mail order business. So people would uh, basically get uh, a little brochure sent to them and then they would have growing supplies. So they would sell like spawn and different. Yeah, different products. Like oh, that. Um, so okay. that was the actual like Far West Fungi was a mail order business. So before the internet, oh, uh, nice. people would send magazines out and then people would order different things. So they would sell like, mm-hmm. you know, Lion's Main kits and Spawn and little different, you know, fun things like that. Um, and then they would also distribute mushrooms at the farmer's markets. So Far West Fungi started out as what, like a grow kit type of company for yeah, people yeah, mail like, order? Yeah grow kit or growing supplies yeah so it would be so, like the big times of year would be like christmas and stuff and you know i don't know right That's right they did. they did it out of their house so you know now would who would prepare all like the growing would you you'd prepare the the blocks the growing company yeah. you partnered with would do all that and you would just mail it out your job was just to mail it mostly so it depends so like say like uh compost right so you would like contract to buy compost and then you would fill your own boxes and then we would spawn them and then we would incubate them so just like Uh, it depends on what what products they were maybe if it was like uh i think the the mail order was a little bit later from the uh, agaricus and then so say like the um exotic mushrooms they might partner with another farm to like make certain substrate bags but at that time uh they were mostly focused on uh working with agaricus and then slowly they progressed into exotics because as we know, the agaricus industry is more of like a commodity pricing. And it's very hard to say small when you're doing the agaricus. Yeah, because yeah. The price point is very, uh, is very low. And so that's why I think to stay smaller and focus more on niche, they moved towards more doing exotic. And then we started doing exotic. Mm. Um, I got you. So it started out with like agaricus, which is yeah. like the button mushroom. Or the and that was the only mushrooms around. Yeah. yeah. That was it. I mean, there was no. That was your primary. That was the original Far West Fungi was just a grow kit for agaricus, really. Uh, and and selling mushrooms at farmers markets. Oh, and actually selling them at the farmers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had an old VW bus. They would go to the market so much. So how did it evolve from there then? So you went from selling there because now you've gotten you've got a lot of things going on. So how did that? grow into when you know started doing exotics 40 years later 40 years it's turned into (laughs) um so i i would say so you know from there my dad went and said hey i need more varieties right so i need to like add more for this these mushrooms to sell to people and so he went out and then uh saw that you could start cultivating other new varieties of mushrooms Ah. um and that was later on um as that progressed and so you know 
you know, I think it's just like this natural thing where at certain point uh, he felt that he was able to grow mushrooms um, and then focus more growing on exotics. And so that was like where we went from agaricus. And then we just, you know, partner with a farm and then we distribute the agaricus because it just kind of got into, uh, again, it's much more complicated uh, marketing with agaricus. You're talking very high volume production, very low margin. Um, and right. so it's better to focus on doing smaller production uh, and then focusing on more of a niche market, which was mostly just shiitake and oyster. Um, and then okay. now we're doing like 12 varieties. Wow. Um, so we do right now, we do about 30,000 pounds of fresh mushrooms a week of exotics. 30,000 pounds of fresh mushrooms a, a week, week with ex exotics. just exotics. Just exotics. And exotics would be like you said, shiitake or oyster. You, there's several different types of oysters or do you specialize yeah. in this one? So we do uh, sh main production is shiitake. We do about like 15,000 pounds of just shiitakes a week. Um, so shiitake, oyster, lion's mane. Um, we do uh, seasonal production of reishi, wood ear. Uh, uh, people call them like chestnut or cinnamon cap, peelpini, mm. um, pink and yellow oyster. I don't know if I mentioned okay. that. Uh, king king oyster. Our main king production oyster. though is shiitake oyster, um, and then we do a lot of lion's mane now and uh, king king oyster, but mostly wow. it's shiitake and um, blue oyster. I have so, one farm that just does blue oyster, and we have a different system of producing the substrate. So we do pasteurized mm. straw. And the other farm, we do all sterile substrate. Um, uh, and then we do all... Yeah, I think I've seen a video where you had the straw. I've seen that Yeah, one. like big plastic. Like they look like... Super yeah, rectangular, plastic. right? Yeah. yeah, like yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and, then, uh, and then we do our own spawn and genetics and cryo storage for all our strains. So we do... We, oh, we, nice. we also have a spawn, spawn lab. So we can do... Depending on... You know, we also produce some spawn for other customers. Um, so, yeah. Everything in between will do. So, and then we all now, as you know, like specialty substrate sterile blends will make for people now too. So if somebody wants like whatever they want, as long as there's no animal byproducts in it, we'll make it. So cocoa core, um, grain, whatever that is, we can, we can produce that too. Oh, yeah. so you'll produce like substrate bags if people yeah. want a specific type of substrate? Yeah, mostly like white, white labeling. We don't really. Oh, I got you. I got you. So if say somebody says, I, I, I want 6,000 blended, you know, whatever recipe that is, you know, I want 30% sorghum and I don't know, 10% uh, <laughs> vermiculite and 2% oh, gypsum, we'll, blend, <laughs> we'll make it, we'll bag it yeah. and we'll sterilize it. We'll box it up and we'll ship it up. So we, we can do whatever yeah. people want. So it, that's, that's a little bit newer now, but it's definitely... For us, we don't want to market. We, you know, we, we focus on exotic mushrooms and grow kits and stuff like that. Um, we haven't really moved in that direction to focus on that industry, but we can do, we, we clearly have capacity to do whatever. We yeah, want. clearly. Yeah. yeah. So you said you do like 30,000 pounds of mush exotics a week, roughly? Yes. yes. So what do you yeah. do? Oh, That's depends. all at farm. You sell all that at the farmer's market? No, 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 no. So we, we distribute to larger grocery store chains. So like, oh, okay. you know, like Whole Foods and Rayleigh's and Safe, all those people we, we distribute to. So uh, okay. only about, I would say, 20% of the production we do goes direct to our retail outlets. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of it comes from the grocery stores. 
Yeah, so we do uh, 18 farmers markets a week, and then we have the two retail stores that you were talking about. So the one retail store we started a long time ago in San Francisco in the Ferry Building, which is this like food market. And mm-hmm. then in San Fran- uh, in Santa Cruz is our new store. It's not that new, but it's new to us. Um, it was started just before the pandemic. Um, so it was a, a fun start. Um, and that one has a cafe. And so that one's really cool because oh, we have all these yeah. cool mushroom dishes and it kind of inspires people to, you know, like yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. your lion's mane crab cakes and all these, you know, interesting dishes we do. We have all our teas, like all our medicinal teas on. So if you want a special mushroom tea, we have that all the tinctures we do. So it's for us, what we've learned for how we have like direct sales to consumers, it really Mm -hmm. helps us also develop new products because we're like, okay, Whole Foods, you're not going to be like, oh, I want to take, you know, this weird new mushroom, like say like we wanted to launch, you know, wood ear or something like that, which is used in a lot of Asian cooking, but not as common to the uh, Western diet. Right. So instead of us saying, oh, we have to rely on a supplier to like launch this product. Well, we can launch it. We can test it. We can see how people react to it. And then if we feel that it's really, uh, you know, a lot of demand for it, then we go to our larger wholesalers and we go, okay, this mushroom is working out well. Let's, let's do this. We feel good about it. And then it's, and then you have a lot more control over like, understanding your products which is really helpful Mm. i think that's one of the benefits that we do so many different things um and we also when you were talking before we started uh, about you going and picking wild mushrooms we we are a a very large distributor of wild mushrooms too oh really yeah very, very large distributor so we have you know many different pickers and brokers around the country that we do business with and so you know, it's a seasonal thing. We even bring in like truffles from Europe. So, you know, we do Oregon truffles and European truffles. And we'll even bring in off-season Australian truffles that are cultivated. Wow. So depending, basically throughout the year, I think we sell 60 different varieties of mushrooms. Fresh Holy mackerel. Yeah. 60. 60. Wow. So, you know, See, most people have only heard of a couple. You do. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. don't even know if I know 60 different <laughs> mushrooms off the top of my head. That's a lot. Yeah, there's. There's a, and we, well, what I always say is, you know, people, you meet people, oh, I don't like mushrooms. I'm like, no, there's a mushroom for everyone, in my opinion. So there's so (laughs) many different mushrooms. You know, you have like candy cap mushrooms. If you ever had like candy cap cookies or candy cap ice cream, it's a maple flavored mushroom. So you can do it in dessert dishes. So there's so many mushrooms out there that people are like, have no idea exist. Um, And so I think that's what we like to kind of inspire and kind of, you know, teach people that no, there is a mushroom for you and you'll definitely enjoy it. Um, yeah. I like that. I like that. There's a mushroom for everyone. I'm sure. Yeah, I like there that. Is. And the cool thing is you have an actual restaurant, right? So mm-hmm. where people can actually experience these varieties of mushrooms that you yeah. offer in a delicious restaurant style format, right? Yes. It's a, it's a cafe, but yes. Yeah. Cafe. It's not like, cafe, you know, yeah. a little cafe. But they but, get like a dish and it's like mushrooms prepared, like really good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's all, uh, they change the menu. I think every, every three months. And so we'll do a different thing. We have our own chef. Um, we have our own commercial kitchen. Uh, so we also do like, uh, a lot of processing. So because 
uh, we do a lot of mushrooms and there is seasonality to demand. So like in the summertime, we'll see like a little bit of a drop. We do more processing. So we have like our mushroom jerky lines. We do a mm -hmm. mushroom patty that we'll do with like a frozen product. So we have all these different mushroom products that we do. And then we also promote them through our cafe. But yes, it's, it's really good if people are thinking about going to large scale production is to have an outlet and to pr produce like a secondary product say so you don't have to sell mushrooms on the cheap you can actually just go oh i'm going to dry them and i can sell them on the dry market or i can process uh -huh. them and i can sell them and you're making more of a shelf stable product and so it's really important in my opinion that uh if you're starting out you're smaller find a secondary product because there's always going to be a time where you might not be able to sell the product and you don't want to just throw it away and you really don't want to reduce your um you know your your um price point because then it also can lower you know the the expectation of what those mushrooms should be sold for gotcha gotcha yeah that's good info and then um i'm curious like so when like what 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 drives you personally to do this type of business i know because a lot of people look i have kids my dad yeah. he didn't follow what his dad was doing so yeah. a lot of people don't right but for you and the whole family to stay together and build this company like you know, what drives you? Like what, what is it like, what makes you want to keep building this company? I mean, it's, it's going amazing. I love what you guys are taking it. I'm just curious, like what um, drives you for it? I don't know. I think, I, I think uh, people talk about like the mushroom bug a little bit. I think it definitely is a thing. I mean, it's, it's agriculture. You're producing, uh, you know, food for people. There's all these really nice points that I feel mm -hmm. like uh, motivate me, but also it's just super interesting. And it allows me to, to experiment and kind of pique my interest in all these different areas. And so my, you know, I went to school and studied plant biology and then focused more on plant pathology, which is more mycology stuff. But I think mm -hmm. I just realized I'm like, you know, at that time, mushrooms, I mean, of course, people ate mushrooms and stuff, but it wasn't like uh, as popular as, as it is today, as we know. And so I think it was for me, I saw it as something I'm like, this is awesome. I think I like, I like to go forage. I think people really need to know about this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, you know, was interested. I did some you know research studying mycorrhizal fungi. I studied endophytes, all these different mm -hmm. things. These fungi are in every aspect of our lives and we're no one's yeah. really paying attention and i'm like this is something where i can work i can uh you know uh, kind of experiment in all these different areas um and also i'm producing something that for people as a benefit as a medicinal product um to help people's diets all these different exciting things so i think that all yeah. that together was pretty pretty awesome and the opportunity of something where um, there's not many industries where somebody could say this is something that is underrepresented, under, un, under not understood. It's not like yeah. I'm going and producing corn, you know, where there's already mm. this crazy market. Um, this right. was like I could start and make a difference at the ground level um, in this industry because there's really no one in it at that point. So yeah. I think those all yeah. are very exciting things. And that's why it kind of moved me. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, it's, it was the same thing for me, right? Like, you, it's like you got the bug. Like, it's like you didn't know anything about it. Like, for me, I didn't know anything about it. And then I got in and I was like, bam, it was like all these things that mushrooms do and the different strains and all the health benefits. And like you said, there's so many aspects. So, yeah, that's that's awesome, man. And um, so uh, what where do you see 
where do you see uh, far west fungi going in the future? Like, where where do you want to take it? So, um, as, uh, we talked a little bit, I think, uh, about just you know where our growth and as this industry is growing and expanding. So, you know, we're we're hoping to keep growing. Um, the other things that we're we we've realized is necessary for this industry to grow is to get get the industry have a competitive advantage. Um, and so what our new kind of our new division of this company and things that I've been pushing forward, which is uh, uh, we have a new website that's focused on farm focused stuff. So it's just fungi uh, farming solutions um, dot com. And that is really focused on automation equipment, helping mm. farmers get to the next level about how how what the things that I've learned after uh, expanding this business for 12, maybe, no, maybe it's 13 years now. Um, and so it's automation equipment, mostly focused from, uh, from Japan. So we have a lot of partners in Japan. I spend a lot of time in Japan. They have, you know, a very large exotic mushroom industry. And so we're bringing in uh, bagging machines, mixers, anything that would help you get your production to the next level. We're, we're helping people get to that level. And so, my passion is I'd much rather compete with a U.S. grower than, than compete with, with China mostly mm. because I can't compete with them. And I know that. But the problem is, is our industry isn't big enough to allow us to have any front that we're not going to be, you know, basically completely overrun with Chinese substrate. And so I want to make it uh, easier for our to give my knowledge out there to allow this industry to grow quickly, which I think it is, um, but not fast enough for the for the food production and, and it, the exotic mushroom production. And so uh, a lot of people don't realize that a lot of the substrate, the, the blocks, the growing medium is is now you know being imported from China on zero degree containers. So they're so mostly shiitake. So they, they produce the blocks if people seen your videos of how to inoculate a block and then let it incubate and then fruit mushrooms. Right. We're doing all that in Asia and something like shiitake, it takes three months. So basically they take this wood and the growing medium, which of course we don't know what it is and where it comes from. They inoculate it and they incubate it in, um, at farms, mostly in China. Uh, and then they, uh, allow it to, you know, fully colonize. And then they rip the plastic off and they, they put it in a container at zero degrees and they ship it to a farmer farm in the US. They take them out, they put them on the shelf, they grow mushrooms. And now that is called product of the USA. If they <laughs> certify the blocks, uh, USDA certified organic, it is product of the USA certified organic USDA. Wow. So that mushroom compared to, or I'm doing you know, everything here, uh, all the wood, all the byproducts, the agricultural byproducts, we put together here, we sterilize. That mushroom is still is called <laughs> organic product of the USA, and there's no way you can differentiate the two. Yeah. So for me, I feel that that's a little misleading to the, to the um, consumers, and it also is very damaging to our industry because they can produce this at a much cheaper product. And yeah. And I would think that most people would want to know if they're, you know, eating mushrooms that might be grown in, in China. 
not to say there's anything wrong with them, but as we know, mushrooms are really good at picking up toxins from their environment. So heavy metals, radiation, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so as, as a consumer of many different things, I would really like to know where my food comes from. And, uh, and a lot of people don't realize that, you know, in China, they try to bring a lot of, you know, people that are in the, uh, you know, higher status, the middle class to upper middle class, or they bring a lot of food in from the United States and Europe because they don't want to eat the food from China. So right. I, I think that it's, it's something that's a serious concern. I, I figure there's probably maybe a million blocks coming in every week from Asia to the US, uh, from the West Coast to the East Coast. Um, and so I think that that's something that really needs to be looked at because what it does is it really, you know, lowers the price of the product because we're competing on the same level. But it mm -hmm. also, if you are a farm and you go, oh, well, I can just pay, you know, $1.50 or $2 for these blocks. I don't have to even learn anything. I don't have yeah. to know how to sterilize my subject. I don't have to yeah. know anything. So that knowledge base has just been completely outsourced wow, yeah. and we are not learning anything. Wow. And so now you're, you know, what happened during the pandemic, if we know all the shipping problems that occurred, the shipping price went crazy high, that there was crazy delays. Well, right. guess what? My demand went sky high. I couldn't produce <laughs> <the> mushrooms because <laughs> the blocks weren't coming in from China. It's also uh, a, a food security issue, in my opinion, and mm -hmm. you're very reliant now, and the knowledge base isn't there, so they can't go, oh, I'm just going to flip a switch and then learn how to grow mushrooms. So yeah. for me, what I, my goal is, let's get this industry fit. Let's get this industry where we can produce mushrooms you know, at a competitive level, but also allow a differentiation. I'm not saying to ban these products, but allow the consumer to know this is not actually a U.S. product. I don't know what they want to call it. You know, birthed in China and grown in the U.S. or what some way that that consumer. <laughs> and 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 yeah. I know this is a you know this is a worldwide issue. So my part uh, my partners in Japan said that they just passed a law in in Japan that allows them to say on the product grown with Chinese substrate. So they have they are now because mm. they protecting their growers, which is important. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so that's what another passion I have is like, get the knowledge out there as more and more mushroom farmers are coming up. These small farmers need to get money for their mushrooms because it's hard to get to that size that we are uh, because of just all the expenses that we, we're all dealing with now. Building massive facilities is very difficult and allow these people to get some automation so they can cut down on their labor costs and then also allow them to teach them how we can actually produce good substrate and good mushrooms. So I think mm. that's kind of my, my goal now. Um, and then also increase my production uh, as feasible as possible. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that makes total sense. And it's almost like it's an issue of people voting for where they want their products. Like who do the, what country do you wanna support? Do you wanna support United States people who are trying to make products here, or do we want to just keep sending everything overseas? Cause this is a bigger issue than just mushroom growing. Like you said, right? This is kind of a global issue yeah. because yeah. if you look at it, almost everything I ever buy now says from made in China, yeah. like, like China owns the, like the, um, the workforce of the world, 
like that should be scary of itself. Right. I don't, you know, and, but like you said, you're having um, a U.S. company, that should be something that can be put on a product. Right. That's like, clearly people know like, Hey, this is legit actually produced in the United States. Yeah. Um, It is important. I think. Yeah. And it's, and it's more of a regulatory thing with like how we uh, label country of origin and, and it's also a knowledge thing where, you know, these people that were putting these laws in place didn't think about mushrooms because no one thinks about mushrooms. <laughs> They're thinking about, you know, maybe a, a tree, like a, you know, a, a tree being brought in or seeds or something like that. And then fruit. And then they're like, oh, of course, you bring a, you know, transplant in here and then it's from, I don't know, Mexico. And then you plant it in California. Mm. Well, the mush- the fruit growing from that is, you know, the oranges are, you know, from from California. They're not from Mexico, but it's very different if we understand how mushrooms grow. And the other issue yeah. is they're bringing them in. They're, they're not calling it substrate. They're calling it spawn and it's not spawn. So there's just a lot of things that I think we're trying to get the, the where, awareness out there. Um, mm. And and we're hoping that, you know, as this industry grows, maybe we'll get more and more partners to kind of, um, you know, help us. And I think it it should be something that, uh, you know, all these new growers that are getting involved really should care about. I mean, right now they're small. Maybe they go, okay, I have my niche market. I'm not dealing mm-hmm. with any issues. But when they want to try to get to, say, 2,000 or 5,000 pounds or 10,000 pounds, then they're going to start running into, well, oh, these ones are cheaper. And so you go, oh, okay, well, I can't beat that price. You know, so those are those. Yeah those problems that we run into. What do you, but, what do you do when you, what do you do when you can't beat the price? Like now, now, like you said, you're in a spot, you've gotten to a point in your business yeah. where you're outside your small niche yeah. and you're at competing at that level. Like, what do you do now? Like, how do you, how do you get your product to be picked instead mm-hmm. of that one that's cheaper? So, I mean, you, you work on your marketing and your sales and, and, and your efficiencies. So, I mean, for me, at our size now and the machinery and different things that we use, uh, I would say that we're, we're competitive. We're not a hundred percent there. They definitely can be, they definitely can be cheaper than us, but maybe we're only a dollar difference per pound, something like oh, that. Okay. So it's not, not too bad, bad yeah. when you think about, you know, how they're shipping this on a container, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, uh, and they're, you know, and somehow that and ends up cheaper that they're shipped all the way from China here and then fruited. But, um, you know, so we're not too far away, but also we focus on, and we, we let our suppliers know that we are doing this, like come to our farms, see what yeah, we're doing. We're, like real. we're not, we're not just, you know, <laughs> a lot of these, a lot of these farms that are using these blocks are literally just hoop houses in the middle of nowhere, you know, in the somewhere. And they just put them in there and they have weird mistresses. There's no controls. There's no, you know, there's nothing right. there. Um, and then also we're focusing on automation. So that's allowed me to be more competitive. So we were talking about, we do 6,000 bags a day, um, inoculated. And, uh, and then we pick, you know, 30,000 pounds a week. Uh, my picking is very efficient. We sort the shiitake with a machine that sorts them and boxes them. So it's automated. So it's just we we focus on all these different. Wow! Things. So you have a device that does what now with shiitake? So shiitakes, uh, for our market, have sizing quality. So like we have like the babies, the smalls, 
the uh, the mediums and the larges. Uh -huh. So I literally have a machine where you just dump all the mushrooms loosely. It, okay. It basically goes down this thing. It sizes it, oh, and then it and then okay. it, it kicks them out through different conveyors, and then it also brings a box in, and then the mushrooms go in the box, weighs it, and then it kicks oh, out wow. a five pound box automatically. So we just wow. you know. Yeah, so you have to do that type of stuff because you can't compete. Um, yeah, we, yeah. We, we've been focusing on all of that, and then mm. my substrate you, line. You're, you're competing with China now, like you're building devices like to automate you things. Can't I love with China. Let's be real. You can't compete <laughs> I with love China. it. But, but yes, I mean we are, we are trying can. our yeah. we're trying our best to be competitive within our market, and then we also focus on you know having variety, having all these different different mushrooms they are not really uh you know all these different varieties are not easily imported in on substrate so we're mostly dealing with oyster and shiitake substrate that we we are dealing with but that is our main production so um and as you know about like the the square blocks you saw uh in that video you know that is i can do uh 35,000 pounds uh blocked in eight hours okay. with two people. How so much? That's a lot. 35,000 pounds of substrate. 35,000 pounds of substrate Put in, the, in eight yeah. hours with two people. Yeah, with two people. So there's one guy, because it's all one machine doing it. So there's one guy, yeah. he's putting spawn in. It's being spawned on a conveyor. And then there's one guy, he picks up the bag and puts it on a cart. That's it. Wow. So we can do that. So those are the types of efficiencies you have to do wow. to be able to be competitive. And that's the stuff, not only do you do it, but you actually help other grower facilities yes. do that as well. You actually come in and you what, teach them how to do it and provide the equipment or? Yes. So I will provide the machinery. Uh, usually what, what happens is they come to the farms. I show them what we're doing and, uh, you know, give them kind of a tutorial. Maybe some, they, maybe they want to pay for some consulting and then, uh, you know, uh, maybe they want to, a full line so they don't want to do they don't have to want to put a little piece or maybe they just want one component maybe they just want a bagger but if somebody said hey right. i want i want to do six thousand bags a day i go okay no problem you need this this and this here's your blueprint here's your you know this is your autoclave these are your inoculation machines you just have to you know build your facility i can even give them like what i would recommend to build and then they just nice. buy like all a blueprint, the stuff. like a blueprint or something, like help yeah, them lay yeah. it like out. All the yeah. different machines, all, all in order, measurements, all that stuff. Nice, nice. Ready to go. And then they just take that, and then uh, you know they say, okay, they give me, they pay me, and then we'll install it. And uh, yeah, that's it. So how's that? So let's say someone's listening. They're like, dude, I want to get into the mushroom yeah. growing business. This sounds awesome. Yeah. Like how much money? would it take for someone to come in and have you come out? Yeah. Is it based on what they're trying to do or like yes. how yes. much, like how much, I don't know. What would it cost someone to have someone do that? Like for you to come out and do something like that? Well, I mean, I would just say like the machinery sales alone is a lot of money. I mean, it's, it's, you know, when you're talking about doing 6,000 bags of substrate, a day you know that's there's different crazy. machines you could buy right so it's like different yeah. option levels like how exactly how, how so, so if you, <laughs> i usually tell people how many blocks you want to do and they'll say okay yeah. i want to do this many blocks and i go okay well what do you what what, what sophistication do you want to do it do you want to do a volumetric filler where you have a guy putting a little thing we can go from there 
or do you want to like go to the next level where you don't even have to touch the bag? Like you could mm, get a full line where the, like the machine picks up the bag, puts it in a basket, puts the basket on an autoclave cart, and all you got to do is roll the cart into your autoclave, and that's that's one guy could run that whole line, and he could do whatever nice. he if you wanted to. I mean, you're talking at that point probably approaching a million dollars with just equipment, you know. Just that's just the machinery, not for you building the facility up. So you know, so but you can have equipment, that. just in professional equipment alone yes. to do everything to produce six thousand bags in a day. Yes, with one person, just in, just for one person. <laughs> you could only you only need one person. Just, only one person. Well, you so only need do, one this, person. do the substrate side if you wanted to. If you, that's what I was saying, if you wanted to. Uh, and then on the inoculation side, I would say you would only need two people to do that. So there's machines that will open oh, it, wow. put spawn in, seal it. So say you wanted a fully uh, for inoculation substrate, and then maybe you need one person to put them on the cart. So you're talking to do 6,000 bags a day. You would only need four people to do the whole, run the whole, a whole substrate part of that business. That's not talking about fruiting or picking or anything, but just a substrate. Wow, four people nice. to do six thousand bags. Just, just, just so no people problem. understand, just so no people problem. understand how much six thousand bags a day is. Yes, I mean that's a ton of bags. That's that's like producing at top level. That's yeah, like that's, that's what we do a day. That's what we do like, a day. Yeah, most people that's, if they're just in a small niche and they're just yeah, getting started out, right. how many bags would like a low level person produce in a day? So like there's like manual baggers, you know, so say like a manual bagger maybe, you know, can do about 250 maybe like 200 bags an hour. So you could have okay. something like that. Uh if you wanted to go towards like just a straight volumetric one, which is just like a, you know, it's just a chute that goes like this and then a certain volume goes in. Yeah. Uh, you can do with a manual one if you don't care about because the, the ones that we use they they form a block right they like very compress these nice block shapes which is very okay. good for efficiency on putting them on your racks um right. and then also it compresses them to get all the air out so when you do sterilize you don't have air pockets in your substrate um so if you, if you wanted to just do straight just to shoot which you usually see people doing uh our, one of ours, you know, before I got the Japanese automated equipment, I used to use a chute and I could do a thousand bags with three people. And okay. that machine probably only would cost you maybe 2000 bucks for a chute. Wow. And then, yeah, that's pretty and affordable. You can do a thousand bags. You're at that people. level, that's pretty affordable. Very affordable. Of course, you need an inclined conveyor to feed it and then you need a mi ribbon mixer. But, you know, maybe the, maybe you're talking depends on your volume. Maybe you want a smaller ribbon mixer, maybe. So maybe not including shipping, but maybe like $20,000 for the mixer and the conveyor and the, and the, the bagger, something like that. Uh, and then and maybe they, that's a pretty much a full operation. Full substrate operation. Yeah. For the and substrate. then you have to, you know, then you have to uh, ship it. Maybe it's going to be like 5,000 bucks. I don't know. We would have to look into it. It depends on where you are in the country. So say you wanted to do that. Oh, oh do, to ship the equipment out. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, heavy, it's heavy. Usually it's what I do is I bring in, we also distribute uh, bags for mushroom production from Japan. So I, I bring in a 40-foot container every three months for selling bags to the U.S. market. So I usually just go, okay, I'll add the equipment onto that bag order so it, it work, it's much more affordable. I bring it right. to my farm, and from my farm, I'll do uh, the shipment to the person's location. So... So it just depends on how big the equipment is.
But so if someone if someone listening to this and they're just like yeah. they're brand new and they're like yeah. I want to get into I want to grow mushroom I want to make yeah. mushroom kits yeah and sell them to people yeah like what would you recommend for somebody that's just getting started and and wants to do this like so, what would be a good option for them because they obviously can't afford a million dollars or whatever like so, what would you recommend that person yeah. so if somebody cons- was asking me to consult right and just say hey I want you to consult me blah 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 whatever they want. I would say, okay, so what we see a lot on the industry is everyone uses wood pellets, right? That's like a very common thing. We do not use wood pellets. There would be no money in mushroom farming if we use wood pellets. Mm-hmm. Uh, they use soy holes. They use, so they're using these set things that people say, oh, you got to use the master's mix or the blah, 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 and this and that. We don't use any of that. So, so what, what we focus on and what I tell people is, where do you live? Do can you find waste products for where you live? Because mushrooms grow on agricultural waste. Let's be honest. When I go to China or Japan or whatever, I go to a certain region. They go, oh, well, we have a lot of wheat bran here. So we'll use wheat bran. And we, oh, well, we don't have, you know, oak. So we use alder or whatever it is. Figure that out. Don't buy soy holes from the Midwest if you're, in you know florida because you got to ship them all the way there figure mm. out maybe you go get sugar cane maybe they got a good sugar cane in- industry out there okay. look, look at agricultural waste that's the first thing i tell them and what it what is agricultural waste if someone doesn't know what that means so anything that's coming out of large agro so like say cotton seed hole right so when you uh, when you get cotton and you need to pull the cotton away there's a little seeds well, you got to go to a cotton gin and they, they pull oh. all the seeds out and then you have all this waste that comes out of there and it's cheap. And usually they use it for cattle feed. And so, so you're just getting very cheap agricultural waste. Don't use a primary product, which is like wood pellets. <laughs> go to, a, go to a, you know, a wood pellet smoker or a wood pellet this. Because you're basically <laughs> now paying, you're paying for the process of producing the pellet. You're paying for it in a 50-pound a bag being bagged. You're paying mm-hmm. the, you know, the store that's selling or whatever you're paying. You're paying so many middlemen down the road. Now you're paying you know, 50 cents a pound. Do you know, I, you know how much um, I pay for wood? I pay two cents a pound for dried sawdust. Wow. You know what I'm saying? And I probably could pay one cents a pound. You know, it just depends Like if I wow. take more of it. So that's what I'm paying. When you start your business off of a, a pellet system, now you're stuck with a very expensive product. And then mm. the only way you're going to make money by selling those mushrooms is unless you get $15 a pound or $10 a pound for your mushroom. I promise you, I don't get $15 a pound wholesale <laughs> for my mushrooms. I'm getting right. you know, a fraction of that price. And uh, you build your farm built on that set mi- mindset, you're never right. going to grow. You're only going to stay mm. in the rich market. You're only going to be able to service farmers markets and very, you know, you're never going to get to that level. And so what I say is if you want to be, if you want to just, you know, kind of be the cool guy that grows mushrooms, fine. Go to the pellet method. You want to do a couple bags every so often. If your goal is to get to the next level, you have to right. learn this now. Don't figure it out later. Don't go, well, I only know how to do master's mix, which is, 50% soy, 50% wood pellets or whatever it is. And then your whole your whole farm's based on that and then you're going to have to relearn how to use raw products because because at that point your your price point's too high for your substrate. By the time you figure it out, but by the time you scale, 
And then you're like, mm. I can't make any money doing this. And you're like, no, you need to start with that. You need to start <clears throat> saying, let's go figure out what, what they have waste products in my area. Um, and so that's the first thing I tell people is like cheap substrate, what you grow sure. your mushrooms on cheaply. So in California, what would that be? Cause you're, you work rice all brand. through rice. Brand. What's that? Rice, rice brand. brand? Yeah. Sacramento um, grows a shit ton of rice. So we get, we get um, rice bran very cheaply. So we'll use um, rice bran. We use uh, like cottonseed holes because there's also mm. actually a lot of cotton being grown in like the Central Valley. Um, uh, we'll use just all these different products that are out there. We'll, we'll use. Uh, we've, we even experimented, experimented with like nut waste. But the problem with nut waste is like nut allergies. Not saying the mushroom has the mushroom like wouldn't you know they decompose the material and then turn it into their own oh, structure yeah, but yeah, say yeah. like a piece of substrate was like on the end of it right. and we don't want to put on our box like grown right, in a facility right. with nuts so we just kind of just were like okay we're not going to do that but that would have been an amazing waste product because there's a shit uh, production here. yeah but because of that you know whatever so that's know, a good we point experimented with that and so you know you'll find stuff you know, and, and, and maybe certain mushrooms won't be suitable for your area. Like shiitake is generally like a hardwood, you know, in France and other countries, they'll grow them on different materials like straw, but they don't yield that well. So, you know, but that's kind of the idea. Maybe you're not going to grow shiitake. Maybe you're just going to grow oyster and lion's mane or, you know, this, you can figure that out, but really you need to first make sure you start off with a cheap base and then you can grow to the, you know, where you, then you can figure out how that works mm -hmm. on your substrate. And then you're going to be really competitive because some other guy is going to go, oh, well, they told me to do this. And that's what I'm doing. And now to produce a bag, it's $5 for me to produce it. And this other guy's like, oh, it only cost me a buck. So mm -hmm. now you already won. That's how you win. So it's like, yeah. that's, wow, that's huge. Um, so really, the first thing, you, if someone's looking to get into this, the first thing they should really do is figure out what agricultural waste products are nearby where I live. Yeah. And how do I get that? How do I that use those resources cheaply, to my right? advantage? Because you think about it, you might be, you know, might be paying like, you know, nothing. Some people might just want it gone. This might be free mm -hmm. stuff you could just get and grow mushrooms on it. So it, yeah, it, it's, yeah. it's huge. Like, yeah, yeah. I remember I read one course a while back, like they had all these Starbucks shops nearby and they were using yeah. um, spent coffee grounds. Yeah. So they would leave a bucket at the coffee. Yeah. Like they made yeah. an, a deal with the, yeah. the whatever, the, the, the facility. Yeah. Hey, if you don't need your, your coffee grounds, yeah. just dump them in this bucket when you're done. Yeah. I'll come pick them up yeah. like every day. And but that's a creative way, right? Yeah, it's creative. I would say you're gonna lose money on that because you have to go to every Starbucks. But you know, I think you know, if you can find something where hey, there's a Starbucks facility making a thousand of those little, you know, in instant shop they're selling to every you know grocery store changing chain in the area, and they can load up a, a semi full of that or whatever, then you got mm -hmm. something going. Man. But I wouldn't it, go to- It depends too at like what scale, at what scale yeah. we're talking, right? If we're talking yeah. 10 yeah. bags a day yeah. compared to well, 6,000. you're doing 10 bags, then there's no point in talking to me because I'm too expensive at that point. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, but you a lot know, of if you want to talk about, I would say where I sit, is when I when people contact me, I say, you know, my specialty is large scale mushroom production. That is my specialty. 
If you right. want to talk to somebody about like weird ways of growing mushrooms, I'm not the guy. If you want to say, oh, I got this barrel and this thing over here and I put it together, what do you think is going to happen? I go, I don't know, but you might, it might blow up. It might work. Yeah, I, but I don't know. But if you want to say, hey, I want to go, you know, and I want to do a thousand pounds, two thousand pounds, whatever that is, I can probably set you on the, the traditional way of how you get to that level. Um, right. I'm not going to tell you to do some weird, like, you know, Lyme treatment, which would be like using chemicals to pass, you know, pasteurize your substrate or whatever. I would say, you know, you, I would always recommend sterilization, but if you can't, I would then recommend pasteurization. We can talk about substrates. We can say, okay, like, you know, right. I use pasteurization on my straw substrate, but I'm using uh, much more complex structures. So I'm using like holes versus bran because they're less. Uh, bioavailable for faster microbes. So you're not mm. going to have as much competition. So you're, it's more, it's basically you're making a, a selective substrate for your mushroom species. So, you know, you don't have to go to that level of uh, sterilization, but we can have that conversation about what right. where that person wants to go. You know, each system will be made for, you know, what your goal is. And, and maybe, maybe that goal is, I just want to focus on pasteurizing and just doing oyster. And I'm like, perfect. Let's get a, a bunch of straw and let's get a bunch of cottonseed hole. And hopefully you're in Texas or something because there's probably a shit ton of both of them. So you know, <laughs> that, that would be that would be the uh, that would be those conversations that we would have. And then I can go, this is the type of machinery I would recommend. And I, it's because I know it will work. I've seen it done. I've traveled the world to see these farms. I'm not going to tell you some, you know, go get this you know, guy that made this and he used a bucket and water mm. and a bunch of two by fours and then have at it. Like, I'm not going to recommend that type of stuff. <laughs> so, right. so that that's, I mean, and that's the problem is that, you know, as this industry expands, there's a lot of noise out there. And mm. so not all that noise is great. And, and so that's what I try to tell people is like, yeah, that might work, but when is it going to break? And when is, you know, when are you going to be able to fix it? And, you know, this is, you know, that type of stuff. So I, I usually go, this is made for this. This is designed for it. And I can guarantee that you are going to grow because you have this piece of equipment here. Yeah. Yeah. So basically <clears throat> the first step for someone is to start trying it out, try to start producing, get cheap yeah. substrates. Yeah. And then if they start selling, and then they want to grow and scale. Mm -hmm. And that's at the point when they would want to call you and yeah, get on the so phone with you. If somebody says, I just love mushrooms and I want to start and I got a load of money, I would say, okay, hold off. Like, why don't you buy some mushrooms from a farm or whoever and see how you do selling them? Something like that. Uh, or, or you might say, buy some blocks, you know, buy commercial substrate that they could buy. You know, for me, I sell the blocks also to smaller farms. So they could buy okay. like, you know, for me to sell a, a kit, which you would buy like an individual kit online, we're selling for a lot more money than when, when somebody says, hey, I need 500 of these blocks. And I go, okay, wholesale pricing, ready to go. They uh, will make their margin. So I'd say either buy fresh mushrooms or buy blocks or whatever you want to do that in between, test your market, figure out, do you have a market? And then mm. come back to me and then we can invest in infrastructure, technology, uh, like substrate production. Because then you know, hey, I can sell this many pounds a week 
And then, and then we can go, okay, let's build your facility. Okay. And then also, I would also recommend like building capacity. So when you do need to expand, you, you don't have to like start all over, you know, you don't have to, you know, I would, I would oversize the mixer. I would, you know, figure out, you know, in, you know, one, maybe they're doing two days a week. Well, then they could go to five. So something like that, you know, Mm. they're not just be like, okay, now I'm, I've expanded in, in, in one year, I, you know, everything's, I need a bigger facility. I'm like, no, let's build it to, Mm. you know, double what you think you want to be at. Got you. So a lot of it becomes about efficiency and stuff that you've mastered because you've gotten that big and you can help give them that information. So they don't got to figure it out themselves. Right. And, and, and if you're going to start being inefficient at the start, it's very hard to be efficient later because you've now have way too many people. And then because you have all those people, you've only expanded with more people. (laughs) And then, and then you're like, I don't have any money to invest in automation. So it's like, you might as well start with a little bit of automation and then you're going to start saving money. So then you can invest in more automation. Mm, I like that. That's, that's so, that's so, that's like building a house, right? If you build the foundation on gravel and like, you know, instability. Yeah. And once you build it up, it's going to fall down. Like, but like you said, if you build it, the, the foundation of this is getting the efficiency from the start with the substrate and then building it up from there is what it sounds like. Yeah. And producing cheap, efficient substrate is the key. A lot of people, when I talk to them also, they always focus on the fruiting rooms, right? And like, oh, my fruiting room, this, that, and the other. The most important place you should invest in is your starting position. So your Mm. sterilization or your pasteurization, your inoculation and your incubation. If you produce amazing, amazing, amazing substrate, you can put it in the shittiest growing room. And I promise you it will grow better than if you have really shitty substrate and you put it in the best growing room. The foundation Mm. is the key. You Mm. know that too, I'm sure in your experience. You've seen blocks where like, this block is doing great. I can do whatever the hell I want to that block. I can put it it in the shittiest room ever and it's going to grow amazingly because you did something right at the start. And it's not just, and it's not just the, it wasn't just the ingredients that we found. It was like the way that you cook the ingredients. Of course. It's so important. Like Uh, it's not just one thing. Like people see it and they're, oh, it's just sawdust. Yeah. or whatever but yeah. there's a process that goes into that like it's every, <laughs> every point of that my my autoclaves are are sending me alerts they go through a whole set cycle uh-huh. i can relook at all the data i yeah. have internal probes i am monitoring everything the whole cook cycle my inoculation mm-hmm. is done in a clean room all my guys have to put on clean room suits Everything is done. I get 1% contamination at my facility. That is the highest percent. Wow. That's awesome. Yes. So, I mean, and all that is really a puncture in the bag. It's not from Mm. anything other than bags with punctures. So, you know, you have to get to that point. And, uh, and that comes from just knowledge, but also just, I have knowledge and I can put people on the right, right footing. But again, everyone's going to figure it out their own way. I can tell somebody straight to their face exactly what to do and they're not going to do it, I promise you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why they, they got to pay you the money to get you out. <laughs> not, not even that. You know, I'll talk to guys and I'll be like, this is what I recommend and I, this is what we're doing. And they're just like, no, nah, I can't do it. And I'm just like, okay, like whatever. That's fine. You know, like 
one of the things we've been we we've experimented um about maybe three years ago or four years ago i was in japan and uh i went to this uh a nameko farm i don't know if you know nameko they're they're these oh yeah orange slimy ones um yeah. and the guy was using black bags sterilizable black bags Oh, yeah. And he had the best production I have ever ever seen. He it was him and his wife, the whole farm. He was doing this for I don't know, sixty years or something. And he would wow. grow a little bit, and he would take it down to market. But he had the best production. He was out of a five pound block. I think he would he would get something like I don't know, like four pounds of mushrooms or something like that. Wow. And, and what, what's, like, a, what's a normal bag? Really, what's really, a normal really bag? High crazy like you know and uh, what i learned is that he was doing these these black bags and he was allowing the the reason why the doing the light depth in the bag he was allowing the mushroom substrate to incubate even longer than you could do in a light bag because you weren't getting yeah. any pinning during that process yeah. Yeah. so he was doing a i think it was a 10 week incubation on that mushroom normally the guys are trying people here are probably doing a 3 week incubation on them and he oh, and so wow. his mushroom mycelium was just so well, you know, broke everything down, got all the energy out of the substrate. Uh, put them in his room, mm -hmm. They would just blow up. Wow. Okay. I also think there's signaling going on, right? So, like, oh, now there's light. It went from completely dark, then you cut yeah. the bag with the CO2 yeah. drop. If I've been wondering that. I've been wondering that. Because yeah. lately I've been growing bags and I, I, I've been watching them getting the side pinning, right? Yeah. And I'm thinking, I always think the same thing. Like, But there's so much controversy, right, about the black. Because you see yeah. people do that on monotubs. They'll put the yeah, black yeah. and then someone else will say, oh, that doesn't matter. Yeah. But like you're showing proof now yeah. that this does matter. Oh, it does matter because we do side by side. with, with So we now for all our oyster, all our... Um, Pretty much everything other than shiitake and king oyster are all done in black bags. Wow. And okay. what we see is I could do the exact same batch, right? The cook, everything's the same. Same spawn, everything. And I have a clear bag and a black bag right next to each other on the rack. And I'm getting right. about 20% more on the black bag. Wow. 20% yeah. more what? Flush? Production. Production. So growth. Yield. Growth. Yield out of yield. the block. Yield. Yes. Wow. Yeah. 20% more just by changing the bag color to just, black. Just by having it in a completely black light depth bag. And I wow. think it has a lot to do with signaling. So if you're a mushroom and you go, oh, I've been growing in this clear bag the whole time, right? Mm. Well, like, what? how do I know where the pin or fruit or anything like that? I think it has to do with a little bit of shock and signaling and all those different things coming together. But also the main thing is you don't get any pinning on the top of the bag. And if you're doing it for a large scale production facility where you're relying on your workers to make sure they put the blocks in at the right time, well, it doesn't matter. They can put it in a week late. It's not going to have any pinning in the bag. And you're going to actually probably get ye higher yields if you give the substrate a little bit longer. And it smooths out your production because maybe wow. there's one bag a little behind and the other one's on time. Well, you keep it a little longer. The other one catches up and your yields just go perfect. You don't have do you find, one block do you behind find you. They actually, they, do you find by doing a black bag? Um, well, shiitake is a, like, do you, you threw it out the side, yeah, right? Yeah. No, but shiitake needs light for proper browning. So they actually have a, 
there's like three different enzymes through the shiitake uh, um, incubation stage. And one of those, the last stage is a browning process. So the mushroom, the, the external mycelium actually will uh, produce, start turning brown. And that's yeah. where it actually will pin, pin mushrooms from. And so if you don't have the proper browning, mm. it won't yield quite well. So do you, do, when you fruit them, do you take them out of the black bag? Or do you well, put one? For the shiitake. No, we only put the, the shiitake in clear bags. We don't use black bags. Oh, which one was the black bag? Oyster, lion's mane, uh, peelpini, um, um, oyster, lion's Any of those fruit, any of those fruit inside the bag? Like any of those fruit off the... Any of those fruit off the surface, or are they all side fruiters out of the side we, of the bag? It doesn't matter where you do it. I mean, okay. it's, you know, basically, if you opened up the top, then it would grow straight up because that's where the light is, you know. But what yeah, we do yeah. is we're very – we want to – we do, uh, you know, very tight, you know, substrate. We want to fit a lot in a room. So we always, like, fold the bag over and then cut the sides, and then we just get a big production. Yeah, the reason, the reason I was asking is because, like yeah. – <clears throat> Um, I've seen a lot where I get a lot of side pinning because yeah. I'm trying to fruit out the top with yeah. certain types of mushrooms, right? Well, and be, I was I'll wondering if the black, if the black bag, would that make it so that they actually yeah. know to grow out the top? Yes, what they, I was would grow out, they wouldn't grow out the side. They would, okay. So, so yeah. So if you got, a, I'll send you some or whatever, and you can test them. But basically, you would, you know, fill it, inoculate it, and then it would colonize. What people don't realize, everyone, a lot of people are hesitant to use them because they can't see in the bag. Yeah, that's the problem. But, right? but yeah. you'll, you know, as you know from growing your, your kits, you, you always see the crinkling of the plastic, which is when the, the substrate's fully colonized, you see the bags kind of get tight and do that mm -hmm. sucking in. Oh, yeah, yeah. So if you see that, you know the bag is fully colonized because it's not contaminated. It. If it's contaminated, it won't do that. And so that's, mm. that's your signal. And the other so thing you, is you, you learn. Yeah. The other thing is you do like one, one or every hundred bags will do one clear just so we have like a window into what's going ah, on. But, okay. but mostly it's the crinkling signaling that we know, okay, this bag is fully colonized. It's, 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 you know, the substrate sucks in. Yeah. Ah, I got you. Well, that's a great tip for anyone listening because I've been wondering that for a long time. Like yeah, it's should, almost like a controversy. <laughs> It's, about i think i think what it is is that some of the old school guys are just like, oh it doesn't matter blah 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 you know like mm -hmm. okay but i i know for a fact and that's what i was telling you i can tell people straight to their face what's <clears throat> what's happening and they'll just go nah that's not it i'm like <laughs> okay whatever <laughs> i don't want to believe that by me <laughs> I, do whatever you want to do I don't care. I'll tell you. I'll tell you the secrets to your face, and you'll just tell me I'm wrong. But well, see, um, like for anyone listening, like these are these aren't things you're guessing about. These are things oh, that you've tested and you've I've split tested, tested evenly, so oh, you know this is the best way to do it. Oh, so it's not like someone else who's just like you said read an article and they're saying, "Oh no, no, you just need to put um, bat poop or something." You yeah. know, like whatever. Like that they've never done it, but you've actually tested all these things. I do, and as we you know, know I do 30,000 bags a week. So I'm, if anyone's testing it, I'm doing it in large scale. I know the yields. Like I know yeah. I can look at a room and go, okay, if I had all clear bags in here, like I'm only getting this much. And if I had the black bags, I'm getting this much. So I know picking wise, experimental wise, I've tested all of it. So 
I know it's a debt. It's a significantly uh, improvement. And the other nice thing that it does, as we talked about, is say if you're a small farm or a big farm and you go, hey, I, I actually don't have demand for this block this week or something like that. You can hold them. You don't have to put them in the room. In, in a situation when it's a clear bag, you have to put it in or you're going to get mushrooms growing regardless. This bag, um, you actually get a time where you go, oh, I can put it in next week. Oh, wow. Deal. That's so, cool. So some of like the smaller productions that we do, which we might more more or less do for like substrate people that we might not do for our own like mushroom line, uh, we'll go, okay, we won't put them in this week. And they'll, you know, they'll just, maybe I'll find sales next week or something, or I'll just go, I'll hold them. And then next week they'll buy the substrate from us. And then there's no issue there. You know, I've done right. tests where I've whole, I've held, like the chestnut, which is something that most people do like a four week or five week incubation, 12 weeks. And I've gotten the best production I've ever seen out of them. Wow. And they're normally incubated like five weeks. So, so you're finding another by, seven weeks on top of it. Wow. So you're finding by using a black bag to control the light, basically, mm-hmm. and letting it incubate longer now, mm-hmm. you're finding that that produces a higher amount of mushrooms that you're able to grow yes. for your substrate. Yes. I mean, of course, everyone has the space that they have. So maybe not everyone can do that. But for us, if you give the substrate a little bit more time, mm. you basically are going to have a little bit better production because the mushroom is, as we know, is decomposing the material. So you gave it more time. If there's no pinning signaling from from mm-hmm. light or temperature drop, depending on what c- could could signal it, but generally light temperature, um, you will not have the fruiting occur. So if you can keep it in your incubation room, no light, you know, cause of the bag and, you know, and the room is sitting at, you know, 70 degrees or whatever your incubation temperature is, it's just going to sit there for a while. Oyster, you got a time, it will start fruiting, but you basically have, instead of, you know, most people are doing two, three weeks, you might have up to five weeks incubation without any, any issues. Wow. Um, uh, chestnut i would say you can go really high like 12 weeks it's insane um not saying you want to do that but it does give you that and the other nice thing is if you're doing a set production schedule for mm-hmm. us uh for our oyster we give it an extra week because we know when we put them in our room when we cut them everything is exactly at the same time i also i could send you some pictures of every every mushroom is growing exactly at the same stage they're all going to be fruited wow. they're all going to be picked exactly that's cool yeah, I think most people probably, you know, they don't want to hear that they got to wait longer. But what you're saying is this is at an efficiency standpoint. So like when people get into a certain level, these are things they can do to boost their efficiency, boost their the same amount of, by, by being more patient. Right. But putting that into your cycle to yeah. give yourself more time. Now, if someone wants to grow and they just want to get it quickly, yeah. like they most of that. the people like um, that contact us. They would, you know, I think it's encouraging for them to hear too. Like, look, even if it takes a little longer, it's going to benefit you more in the end if it does take longer because you, you're you showing you get higher yields mm-hmm. if you wait a little longer. So that's a good news well, for anyone, I think. Yeah, and, and, and that makes sense, right? It makes sense if, if, you're, if your mushroom has more time to colonize the substrate and break the material down, that it probably will have more energy to produce its fruiting bodies, which is what it's doing yeah. in the first place. So- um, if, 
if you wait too long and somehow it fruits or something like that, well, then it's losing the energy from fruiting and you didn't harvest those mushrooms. But if you can, you know, keep it in a state of just vegetative growth, then mm -hmm. it's perfect because then when it fruits, it's going to go, oh, shit, I've been growing for a long time. Oh, damn, you cut me open. Light signal, CO2 yeah. drop, yeah. temperature drop. They're confused. Oh, now I have They're three confused. signals. Yeah. They're going to go, boom, I'm going to fruit like mad. And that's what I think I'm seeing because I have a clear bag and a black bag. They're both at the same stage. I cut them open at the same time in the same room, and I'm seeing, you know, a, a 15 to 20% increase on that black bag next to the clear bag. What, well, there's no difference between those two things. The only difference is that one has been exposed to light the whole time and the other one hasn't. So there wow. has to be that secondary signaling of, okay, now they're, now I have this light and then they just, boom, they explode. Well, I know for me, I'm going to start doing that. Like as soon as I know, it's, as soon as I, as soon as I know a bag is colonizing now, if it's a clear bag, I'm going to wrap that sucker up in a shirt or something and like cut off all the light. I'll, I'll, I'll send you some bags. We, we, we distribute bags. So we, I'll send you a mm -hmm. bunch of our bags. We have, uh, we have all different bag sizes. I've been working with uh, this company for many years in Japan. Basically okay. we used to use um, a unicorn bags for like 20 years, but uh, for the automation, they don't work well because the bags have a lot of uh, static. So they stick. Oh, and okay. so the ones from Japan are very, they don't stick. And so because of that, we had to move to uh, the Japanese bags. And so that's what oh. we're bringing in, in for our own production. Cause we use, 1.5 million bags a year and so we, we just were like okay we'll just bring these bags in we're already bringing a lot in and so now we're also distributing them so we have you know extra large bags medium size all the different size bags we have to fill the 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 need for the market wow that's this has been a, a lot of great information thanks for sharing all this kyle i mean this is great i think anyone interested in moving into growing mushrooms i mean this is just really good information i think yeah um do you want to open it up to a, just a couple questions just see if anyone yeah. on live with us once has a question so if, if you have a question um just type it in the comments if anything for kyle specifically if this if uh, about growing mushrooms or starting a business with mushrooms or anything like that, just um, type it in the comments right now so I can, um, Kyle will be happy to answer it. Um, normally takes a few minutes for that. Okay. But um, let's see if anyone's asked any questions so far. Um, let me see. Hmm. Well, I don't see any pop up here. All right, here's one. What's the best way to keep your mushrooms from? This is more of a growing question. Okay. <laughs> I think Jeremiah says, what's the best way to keep your mushrooms from getting rain in moldy? Getting rain in moldy. Um, maybe I'm not sure what he meant. So like after harvesting? Yeah. Please clarify the question, Jeremiah, so we can um, get you the right answer. Um, here's another question in the meantime. Yeah. Um, all right. Amy says, do black bags work for reishi mushrooms? Yes, you can use them for reishi mushrooms. Um, we, if we, so we've done some experiments, mostly uh, kind of fun experiments with them. So you can like cut out designs and then they'll grow out of where you put the holes. 
So if you want to do oh, like uh, okay. antlers or something like that. But yeah, so basically uh, with the reishi, you can just fully colonize it and cut it. And then it's going to produce the, you know, the, the, the structure, the large polypore structure, and then it will start growing out. So you can use them. We've actually done some interesting experiments with doing like, uh, have you ever done, seen the outdoor greenhouse grows that they do in China? So we've done some where we, Ooh, yeah, we yeah, bury yeah. them and then they grow out under the grounds. And sometimes under the ground, yeah. Yeah, they grow that. out of the ground. So you just put the whole block in and we'll use the black bag so that definitely won't try to grow out the side in the ground and then they'll grow straight up. So wait so, a minute. You put you put that black bag into the ground. Well, it's more of like a sand like type of material they use. So it's like not just straight dirt. And then we'll put them in the ground, we bury them, and then we have like a greenhouse over them, and then they'll grow these crazy big Thing. Do you put like slits in them, like when they're in the ground? Cut the top completely off, and then oh, cut the top off, then yeah. bury it, and yeah. then it'll grow out the ground. Bury it out the ground, but wow, cool. it's just that's one of my guys is really into reishi. He like has like I think he in our cryo storage, I think he has twenty five different strains, and so he does all these interesting stuff that I let him do, kind of side projects. Um, and so he messes with all these different ones. We for the ones that we cultivate, we only cultivate two two varieties. But um, but yes, they work. Um, it's not ne you know necessary, but they do they do work just fine. Um, but reishi, as you know, is a very long, slow growing mushroom. It produces you know a couple fruiting bodies. With the black bag, you could then direct exactly where that fruity body would develop, so you wouldn't have any side or top you know strictly top. So, but it would work just fine. I'm curious, like, that's pretty cool. So you, you have a couple grow facilities or you call them production yeah. facilities that you grow mushrooms. So what mushrooms do you actually grow in the United States that people can buy? Shiitake, oyster, lion's mane, all those varieties. Uh, what about chaga? I think I seen chaga on your site. That's, that's uh wild foraged. Yeah. Those usually come, those are like, harvested in like Alaska or Maine or places like that. That's wild forage. You could cultivate okay. it. But now is that, do, does your team forage that or do you get those from another facility? We work with mostly like, I think larger brokers. Actually, I, that might not be true. I, I don't know. So like, as we know, like uh, the business is, um, I have uh, multiple brothers in the business and so they all do different things. So I'm production. So I'm just in charge of the farming. And then uh, my younger brother, he does more the large scale distribution. And then I have one brother does the farmer's market and the other one does um, manages kind of the, the, the warehouse and the mushroom stores. And so they focus more on the wild mushroom and stuff like that. But I know sometimes we'll work with just some guy that's he just does that. Or maybe we'll work with like a larger broker that's accumulating multiple uh, multiple pickers. So it just depends. But yeah. Th that is generally wild harvested, though. The, re the reason I ask is because I know f from the people I've talked to a lot, mm -hmm. they they end up going to China to get mushrooms because there's this, um, most people say you the mushrooms you want, you can't get in the United States. They just okay. don't grow here. You have yeah. to get them in a tropical location like the mountains of China or okay. somewhere else. But you're able to grow quite a few right is there any that you can't grow that they have to get um overseas or whatever yeah i mean there's a lot in in china they you know they've been 
cultivating mushrooms forever. Right. So there's a of bunch course. of different interesting varieties that they grow there that we we can't cultivate. I mean, we we could cultivate, but we just don't have that demand for it and the knowledge yet. But yes, so there's a lot. Uh, we focus on uh, you know reishi um, and shiitake oysters, uh, lion's mane. Reishi is one of those that most there's not many domestic producers. We do, I think. Um, a pretty good job at growing them and drying them. And then we also do sell them fresh, which is some, nice. some people believe that uh, like, you know, it's best to have them fresh because they have like their life force still in them. So that's mm. something we do seasonally more yeah. towards the summertime because uh, it, they grow a little bit faster in warmer weather. So we do that and they take, you know, about four months for incubation. And then the fruiting body development takes up to, uh, you know, at least a month just for the fruiting body to develop. So it takes up a lot of space. Um, yeah. and so we'll, we actually use uh, large 40 foot containers and mm. we just load them up and then we refruit them through the pretty much it takes, it's almost a whole year for that whole process for the reishi. And so that's why not many people do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's why something, and I, I'm, you know, thank you so much for, you know, working to keep these jobs mm and doing this in the United States because I didn't even know anyone was trying to do this. Like I just figured everyone gave up and they just outsourced to China because yeah. every company I've ever tried to buy supplements from. Yeah. If you look into it far enough, they got it from China. Like yeah, everyone's yeah. getting it in the, if you look at their suppliers, it's from, uh, somewhere or another, it's going to get back to China. Yeah. yeah. And I was and like, but you're actually place. growing, you're actually growing in the United States, which, I'll be honest, you're like the first one that I've heard that's actually doing that and doing yeah. it on a wide variety of mushrooms. Yeah. And that, and that's why we have like, you know, the mushroom stores and the farmer's markets. That's how we can get it out there. So yeah. and we wanted to focus like our tincture line to make sure there are mushrooms in our tincture line. So if you buy like our tincture awesome. line, the, you know, the reishi are our reishi. We grew them at our farm. So that's really important to make sure people know. And, you know, we do have people that will specifically look for domestic produced reishi and they only pretty much can come to us because that's just the only place to go for, for getting them actually knowing that we grew them yeah, you know, on real. the coast in Monterey, California. That's awesome. So, yeah. Now what I know a lot of people, what they do is it's easier for them to just say, forget it. I know I can get the spawn to grow for just about any type of mushroom. And then what they'll do is they'll take that cake, throw it in an oven, grind it up and makes, you know, mycelium powder yeah. Yeah. and sell that. But you're, you're working specifically on growing the fruiting body to provide the yeah. fruiting body to people. Right. Yes. Were you ever tempted to just dry up the cakes and do that? Or no, was it I always mean, just the fruiting body? You know, the thing that I, so I talked to a lot of people about the whole, supplement line and like you know the spawn thing and all this stuff and it's very i find it all very kind of confusing you know yeah. if you want to look at what they were doing for traditional chinese or you know medicine or whatever they're using the mushroom it was just be real they were not using the spawn and maybe maybe it's fine you know stamus is a big proponent of using yeah. uh myceliated grain but generally it's very cheap I think the the larger problem, if you talk to like um, like Christopher Hobbs, he's a he has a, a medicinal book and he's been doing this for a little long time, is it really depends on how long you let the mycelium grow through the grain, right? 
because it's going to take the glycogen like from the the you know from mm. the grain itself and make the fungal glycogen and if it doesn't convert it then you just have you know like a bunch of grain you're getting you're basically getting a bunch of starch wow. and stuff okay. and so if you let that mushroom mycelium completely eat all the grain then maybe we fine but at that point something like a reishi they would never do that because it would be a, a brick it would be hard as a rock you couldn't you couldn't even break it up mm. because it's full it's like you know if you ever grown reishi it's literally like a a football uh, i mean it's not even harder than a football it's like a brick so you what the problem is is it, it if, unless you have a set standard which of course you don't with these supplement lines you can't guarantee anything but you can guarantee with a fruiting body that you have a hundred percent mycelium or mushroom or a hundred percent fungal mass so yeah. and it's that, at the last stage it's at the last yeah. stage of its life yeah and, and instead of like you said is, all that is the mushroom you know with the other stuff it's grain mixed in with mycelium and you do get different compounds from the fruiting body and 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 the mycelium itself so some people say you should have both but i think it's very hard to do that and if you look at like uh the other thing that i i kind of get concerned about is like most people you know traditional herbal medicine they did not consume polypores they didn't actually eat the reishi they extracted, you know, the properties by soaking it and boiling it. They, right. they did not eat the fruiting body. And so there is some concerns that people actually might have taking in things that they really shouldn't be. And actually the guy that mm. works for me that's very interested in reishi, he says there's like articles from Europe saying that people are having reactions to consuming polypore fruiting bodies because <laughs> it's not traditionally used. You're supposed yeah, to extract the compounds out of it. And it yeah. might not even be that great for you because you're not actually extracting. So you have to extract the, you know, all the compounds uh, and then you know dry that and then make that into a powder, not just taking the mushroom interesting powdering it up and going, oh yeah, Man. you take that. Maybe well, that's I take, not I take my thing. I take my hat off to anyone who ate that mushroom because <laughs> I don't think it would taste very good. No, that's, <laughs> that's why they grind it up and sell it to you in a pill. So you know it's just it's it really depends, I think. And I think that's the thing is it, it's about education. You can't just say, this is going to make you better. You know, I think that we have to look at what traditional herbal medicine was doing, what they were focused on. Certain mushrooms, of course, can be consumed. Shiitake, oyster, you know, other ones, they weren't being consumed. They were making extracts and making tinctures out of them. So I think that's my opinion is that like, I would rather go where uh, these traditional medicines were used, how, how they were, how they're testing them, not mm -hmm. just going, here's a bunch of weird stuff, take it, have a good time. Because I think that's no. kind of where it is now, which is like- No, that's, that's huge. That's <laughs> huge because you're, you care about what people are putting in their bodies. Like anytime I've ever bought anything, at least for me, is I always wanted to know that the source of where that was coming from, I could trust it. And it actually is what I think it is. And a lot of people getting powder today, I'd ask someone, how do you know what's in that powder? You have to trust the person you bought it from. Yeah. And if you're buying it from someone who doesn't even know where they got it from because it was shipped from somewhere in China. So no one even really knows. And I'll, I'll say this about China. I'm not trying to give China bad rap because I get stuff from China. Yeah. But they're very good at making fake stuff. Like... <laughs> Like, I'm just saying, like, how do you know what you're putting in your body is actually what it is? What I love about what you're doing is you're in control of the whole process. Like, if I buy from Far West Fungi, I know that you were in there the whole way 
from the moment it got put in the ground or grown to the moment I got it, yeah. you know, we know the whole process. And yeah. that to me is super and, valuable because now you know you're getting what you want to get. Yeah. You know? and, and not to say, I mean, to be honest, like we do bring in certain mushrooms from China, you know, that we can't distribute. But on the label, it says product of China. And so that's the mm -hmm. most important part is that the consumer knows this is from China. If you want to consume it, fine. Right. It's, but, but you, you know, have the like, option hey, to do yeah, that. Yeah. If there's a mushroom that cool. I can't grow. So sometimes there's weird, I don't know, there's different mushrooms out there that they bring in and we bring them in, we distribute them. But that's, that's totally, you know, that's just totally up to the consumer. But we're very honest about that. And we want people to have options to say, I want domestic produced porcini. And maybe I don't want Italian porcini. You know, all those things right. are, are what we're, we're trying to provide to people. Um, and it's very important to make sure that we're, uh, we're, we're very customer focused. And that's kind of been our reputation is that we want to make the consumer happy with what we're producing. And we want to make sure that they're getting a good product, you know, and that's really important. And you said you travel too, right? Have you ever f traveled to China at all? Or? Yes. Yeah. So have you seen how they're, you've seen how they're actually growing in China. And these are the places that you order from, right? Uh, so we'll work with specific, I mean, depends on what we're talking about. We don't bring in very much from China. So we don't bring okay. any like dried supplement lines from China. Nothing like that. No. All okay. our supplement lines are, are from our mushrooms. But Gotcha. But so say like uh, you know we that, that's want, a good that's a good point right there you get you get, the we'll get fresh, you mostly it's fresh mushrooms so like right now gotcha. there's more like morels there is there is a cultivated morels that come in from China so we'll bring those in mm. it'll be sold as product China usually they come in a little earlier from our morel season and so then some people want them and that's just what it is and we'll bring them in and so the only country that's really cultivating them is China so we'll have these morels that are sold on the market. Um, of product of China. So we know where mm. that's coming from, which region. Right. We also you know work with a guy that's also been to China and he's cultivating them in Half Moon Bay. And we'll also cultivate them from a California source. So, and we produce the spawn for that guy as well from, from a strain brought in from China. Say that again? You produce the so, spawn for who? The, so then we also have domestic produced cultivated morels and the strain the the mushroom mycelium came oh. from from china and we mass produced the spawn for him for his domestic production of the oh world. i see okay yeah. cool so we also cool. do that too so, so we, we, you know everything's kind of mixed up you know in the way of the mushroom industry you know we bring strains in from japan we'll cultivate them and we'll offer them to the domestic you know to the u.s market but you know at the end of the day I think the most important thing is the consumer has to know what these things are, right? If this powder is coming from, you know, China, or maybe it's coming from wherever, or it's domestically produced, or it's grain spawn, it's all very vague, if you know it. It says, mm -hmm. it says uh, mycelia grain generally says fruiting body and mycelium, which doesn't mean anything. It basically means mm -hmm. what they're just labeling it as. And so that's very confusing. So people think, oh, I'm eating you know, shiitake. No, you're not. You're eating some powdered, you know, sorghum. So I think that's, that's what we're, we're, we don't want people to, you know, have a bad taste in their mouth by buying our products. We want to make sure that when we say this is what it is, it's a hundred percent that way. And then we cut out a lot of the middleman so we can produce it at a very reasonable price because we're making it, we're right. packaging it, we're selling it through our retail stores. Absolutely. 
Well, cool. Well, um, Kyle, thanks so much for being on today. Um, this has been a great, um, a great time talking all these things. I love all this stuff. So, um, it was great for me and I'm sure a lot of the people listening are, um, going to go use a lot of this to help them as well. So, um, I had one more question if you don't mind, and then we'll just kind of close out for today. Um, the last one is kind of a long one, but Jennifer says, I was under the impression that extracts are the best bet because our bodies aren't able to digest chitin in the f- whole fruit and that mycelium powders are almost always ground up with whatever it was growing on. Do you have any, um, do you have any um, opinion on, on We were that? talking about the extract is probably better because you're not actually, you know, like what she was saying, like a polypore is a very tough structure. And the only way to get those medicinal properties is to boil them in water for a very long time to get the, those medicinal compounds out. And then usually what they'll do is they'll mix that with like an alcohol that will pull more of those different compounds out, like the terpenes and different things like that. So all that, and then that's what you consume. You're not just eating a giant ratio off of a log. You're not gonna do anything with it. Your body right. you know, doesn't have those you know, structures to break it all down. Um, so yes, that that's totally true in my opinion. And that's what we were talking about, which is like you get a powder and they throw it in a pill and then they go take this. And then is it actually doing anything? Yeah, maybe not. And then the other thing is that, you know, how much powder is in this pill bottle? Well, I would say you're better off eating fresh mushrooms. Let's be real. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, because when you think about it, go to the store, eat your mushrooms. Like that's what mm. you get. You get that fiber for digesting it. You get all yeah. those compounds out of it. Uh, I, you know so- what I say? I say like if you, if it's a gourmet mushroom and someone really wants to get, like they said, they want to break down the cell wall. Yeah. Why not make a soup? Like boil the mushroom and then drink the water in the yes, soup. All of it. All just, of you it. know, that would you know, give you like an extract tincture or something. With the, like with like shiitake or those softer mushrooms, you know, you don't have to break them down as much, you know, soup. Okay. When you cook them and that in your body's digestion. Oh, okay. So you just need to cook them. They're a little bit easier, but again, chitin is hard to digest. And so, you know, you shouldn't eat large quantities of mushrooms. You should, you know, mushrooms are a part of your meal, you know, Uh, but it's not the whole main meal, you know, or you can, I mean, of course I love mushroom tacos and stuff like that, but, Mm. but I, I would say that, yes, when you consume mushrooms, it's, it's, it's something like everything. Like you should consume a little bit of all the different ingredients in your life. So, yeah. Um, but yes, I think that this is a really complex thing. And I think as this industry grows, uh, hopefully the awareness grows about from medicinal compounds to, you know, to substrate coming from overseas. I hope that we can come together and then a lot of that smoke and mirrors kind of just goes away and people can mm-hmm. really, you know, get good products that they're actually, you know, thinking they're getting, hopefully. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, great. Um, so if anyone wants to get in contact with you or follow you um, or whatever, um, what's the best way for them to find out more about what you got going on? So on like Instagram, we're just like far West fungi um, on, uh, you know, you can hit us up uh, farwestfungi.com. If you're really looking to get to like the next like production size for your mushroom farm, we just have uh, fungi uh, farming solutions. Um, but you can also find that link on the our, our general website. And then if you if you want to follow me specifically, it's just Kyle Garoni um, on uh, Instagram. So, yeah. All right. Great. Well, again, thanks so much for being here, Kyle. It's been awesome. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back sometime.
yeah and definitely. i can't wait to get some of those bags those sound yeah cool. yeah and if you ever are in california i'd be happy to give you a tour of our facilities and whatever you want <laughs> oh heck yeah heck yeah definitely i'm originally from california so. oh really yeah i'm from the northern area like sacramento north near Sac san francisco uh, yeah. I was in the foothills, the foothills, like Yuba City, Loma Rica yeah, okay. area. That's where I grew up. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I went to Davis, so I had no Sacramento area. Oh, there you go. Yeah, and I grew up in the, the San Francisco Bay area, too. So. Nice, nice. Yeah. All right, Kyle. Well, thanks so much, man. Have a good one. Thanks, man. All right, so if you want to know how curative mushrooms is helping sad people to improve their mental health by growing happy mushrooms at home using an all-in-one simple growing system that doesn't require any complicated instructions or expensive equipment, then head over to curativemushrooms.com.